0: Welcome to the Vox Church Podcast. We're so excited that you're taking some time today to listen to today's message. If something from today's message specifically touches your heart, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97,000, and one of our leaders would love to connect with you. Also, make sure you visit voxchurch.org for more information about our church and upcoming service locations and times. God bless you. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Welcome to Vox Church. You guys doing good this morning? It's good to be with you. My name is Mike Schnepp. If I don't know you, I'm the executive pastor here at Vox Church. And I am glad that you are here this morning. A special welcome to those of you who are here for perhaps the very first time. We're just so glad that you're with us. Welcome to the Vox family. And we're glad that you're here. If you have been here over the last few weeks, you know that we've been in a sermon series called The Sacred Us the sacred us. And so our lead pastor has been leading us through that. And so I think it's right. Can we take a moment and just thank him for how he's been leading us through that? And I'm just so grateful. Yeah, totally. So grateful. All right, we're going to keep cranking together. So if you got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Paul writes this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of this morning's message is Seeing Past Me. Seeing Past Me. Come on, let's pray together as we begin. So God, we come before you right now, and we just say thank you for your presence. We thank you for the word of God. We continue just to submit ourselves to it. God, right now, we just pray that you would speak directly to us, and so we open our hearts, we open our hands, and we thank you that you have something unique to say to each and every single one of us, and so we just say together, come Holy Spirit. It's so in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's hot outside, which is kind of weird for November, isn't it? But, you know, the calendar is telling me something different than the weather's telling me. The calendar's telling me it's almost that time. You know That time. Christmas time, Christmas time. Now we've got a couple different camps, right? Some of you are like, "Dude, it's 70, I'm trying to enjoy fall, you be quiet." And then there are some, your tree's been up since Labor Day, right? Like you you dusted off the Mariah Carey Christmas album, you're ready. One of our pastors, Ryan Weatherhead, he starts his countdown like July 1st to Christmas. Our little resident Buddy the Elf. All right? You know, growing up, we had a family tradition where we would watch the Muppet Christmas Carol. Has anybody seen the Muppet Christmas Carol? It is 30 years old now. It is a Christmas classic. And if you don't know it, it's the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. And it's set back in in London a couple hundred years ago. And it tells the story of a man named Ebenezer Scrooge who's at the end of his life. And he's beginning to to look back. And he he gets visited by these three ghosts. If you remember the ghosts of Christmas past and Christmas present and Christmas future. And there's this scene in his life where he's probably in his mid-20s, maybe 30 or so. And he's talking with his fiancée. And his fiance is asking him, when are we going to get married? You pushed it off another year. And Scrooge says, well, you know, the finances are bad. The investments haven't done that well. And the truth is, over the last few years, his heart has been disconnecting from his fiance in pursuit of his own career and wealth and trying to build an empire for himself. And so he looks at her in this poignant moment and says, I love you, Belle. And she says, you did once. And the relationship ends. And Scrooge then from there on gives his life to building wealth, taking advantage of whoever he can along the way. And the story gets to the end of his life, and he looks back on all that he's accomplished, all the goals and dreams that he had set for himself he accomplishes, but he realizes at the very end of his life that he hadn't actually won. In fact, he had lost because he missed out on some of the most important things. This idea, this hyper-individualism, this this go-after-my-goals-and-my-desires, the things I want at at the cost of everything else, it's the air we breathe here in America, isn't it? This hyper-individualism, this relentless pursuit of the things that I want. And if you get in the way, I'll just move around you. If you cause me discomfort towards what I'm going for, I'll just cut you out. This is a part of our society. My dreams and my goals seem to run higher than everything else. Sometimes, though, this this sort of self-preoccupation, we'll call it, it's not as intentional as it is in the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. It's just something that kind of happens, you know? And before we know it, we become so preoccupied with ourselves and just our day-to-day life and all those things that we really, if we're honest, we've stopped noticing the needs of other people. We've stopped caring for people around us, and it's a subtle shift You know, psychologists for the last 30 years have been measuring college students, and they have this test that measures for what they call narcissism, which maybe you've heard that phrase, it's this obsession with self, my wants and my desires, and they contrast it with empathy which is the willingness to get into the shoes of other people, to care for others. And as they've studied this over the last 30 years, it's been shocking because there has been a 70% rise. So 70% of people that were measured now test as narcissists. And so all of society is moving, it seems, in this direction of self-preoccupation. The scores are higher than they've ever been. And there's not a single one of us, if we're honest, that are immune to this. It seems like it's, it's almost part of the human condition to struggle with selfishness. And I've seen it in my, my own life, and maybe you have as well. You know, last spring, I really was confronted. I had this rude awakening. Because if you were here a few weeks ago, you remember there was a, a couple of us on stage doing a panel. And our lead pastor, Justin, was there, and our CFO, Tom Haliva was there. And our ministries pastor, Sean Haggerty, was there as well. Now, Sean and I go back a decade and a half, and he is one of my nearest and dearest friends. We've done a lot of important things together. We've gone to India to do missions work, we've done missions work in Haiti, we've coached basketball together, and though he be significantly older than me, I do want to say, you probably could tell, he's one of my closest friends. Sean's family is an incredible family. And when my wife and I found out that we were pregnant with our first, we called Sean and Kim and we took them out to dinner and we were like, teach us, oh wise ones. How do we do family? I just have an enormous amount of respect and love for him and his family. And that's why I tell you all that. And last spring, when the, uh, the virus that must not be named swept through their house, they were feeling crummy for a couple days and then they did fine. And, and, and Sean came back to work about a week later. And him and me and Ryan Weatherhead, one of our pastors, is is in a meeting, and Sean and Ryan are laughing because while they were down, Sean uh, Ryan's wife had made them a bowl or you know of homemade chicken soup. Very thoughtful. And Ryan was joking about how he ran to the doorstep and then ran away. Because back then it was like, don't touch the doorknobs. And, you know, don't touch the cardboard box from Amazon. You know, it was back then. You didn't know what was happening. And so they were joking and, and having this banter about how, you know, he dropped out the food and blah, blah, blah. And I realized it never even crossed my mind to make them dinner. And God really just showed me in that moment, Mike, you have allowed the last 12 months to create a level of self-preoccupation that is unhealthy and that needs to change because I'd become so focused on my own needs and COVID and caring for my family and all these things that I'd become oblivious to the needs of other people around me and it was a real awakening that something had settled in that I needed to push back against and go God that will not be how I live my life and so I don't know where you find yourself this morning You may be a little bit like where I was, where you just say, man, I've become really insular in my thinking, if I'm honest. You know, there was a season where I used to be really deep in community and and I was deep in relationships with one another. But honestly, now I'm just too busy for it. I'm chasing this thing. I'm doing I just haven't made time for that. I've really become sort of fascinated with, with just what I'm building in my own life and all those things that everyone else around me, all the relationships, they seem to have just kind of dissipated a little bit. And I'm kind of just doing my thing. Or maybe if you're really, really honest, and I won't ask for a show of hands, you have lived up until now with this point where you just say, listen, I'm going in a direction, and you're either getting on the train or you're getting left behind. Wherever you are, here's what I know. That this idea of a sacred us, of biblical community, that it never grows in the soil of self-preoccupation. That if what we actually want for ourselves, what the Bible promises is available to us, It doesn't thrive in that type of soil. And so what do we do? What do we do? You contrast what we see all around us with what Paul writes about in this text here where he says, Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo. Show hospitality. Love one another with brotherly affection. This text comes to us like a drink of fresh water. And there's something that when we hear that, we just say, Yes! Yes, I want that. And I don't know where you find yourself, but I'm going to be honest. For me, I'm ready for a breakthrough in this area. I'm ready for that level of just thinking about myself and my world. I'm like, God, would you break me out of that? I don't want that for myself. And you know what I know, church? That you're hungry for it too. You know, because we have 200 different community groups going on right now. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) And what that does is it tells me that the Vox Church family is hungry for this type of community. That there is something that God is birthing in us that says, if that's available, then I want it. And so let's go after it. And so I think there may be for some of us here, God wants to shift your perspective this morning. And understand that what he has called and made available to us to live anything less than that is to live outside of God's best for us. And so let's go after it together. You know, Paul tells us how to do this this morning in our text. He starts in, verse chapter, in, in uh, chapter 12, verse 9, by saying, let love be genuine. Genuine. That word genuine, it's an interesting translation coming out of the original Greek. That word is, is it was meant used when they talked about play acting. And so if somebody was playing a character, they'd say, well, right now he is not genuine because he's playing a part it's a word that they would use to describe pretense or agenda and so if you were to say it in our modern language you might say it as strongly as let love be without hidden agenda let love be without hidden agenda now the tricky thing is we live in a world that seems to be filled with hidden agendas doesn't it doesn't it seem like everybody wants something from you right now Like at every turn, someone's trying to trick you into getting from you what they want, all right? My my girls, they're 8 and 5, and they grew up in the land of Netflix. And so that means for them, commercials don't exist. You know, like they're used to like, I turn it on, I watch it for 20 minutes, and then I turn it off, okay? But it's the fall, and so on Sunday afternoons, our family watches God's favorite football team, the New England Patriots, play (laughs) on a weekly basis, okay? And so we do it as a family. I am bestowing upon them the joy of cheering for the New England Patriots. And so we watch it together. And you've got to understand, they have no grid for commercials. Like, so, so we'll be watching football, and then a Lexus commercial comes on, they're like, Dad, what is happening? Like, I thought we were watching football. And so, you know... I'm a proud New England cynic, you know? And so I'm trying my best not to pass my cynicism onto my kids at an early age. But it's hard to describe commercials in a way that doesn't. They're like, Dad, what, what is this car? I'm like, well, they're telling us about their car. And they're like, oh, so they just want us to see it? I'm like, mm, they kind of want us to buy it. And so my oldest is like, so they just want our money? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. They paid money to get our money. I don't know what to tell you. Yes. I... Uh, <clears throat> I tried selling something on Facebook Marketplace this week, and can I tell you how much I hate that? I hate everything about Facebook Marketplace, okay? I hate it so much. My brother loves the hustle, so I give him my stuff, and he sells it and deals with it and gives, we go 50-50, all right? I'm willing to give up 50% to not deal with it. But we were cleaning out our garage this week, and so I was like, you know, maybe I'll just give it another shot, okay? And so we had an old running stroller that doesn't fit my kids anymore, and so I put it up on Facebook. And within an hour, six different people start asking me questions. Oh, what's the condition it's in? You know, all that stupid stuff. And each and every single one, I get to the end of the conversation, and they say something like, okay, so I'm going to send you a link. If you just deposit the money to me, I'll give you back double the money afterwards. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Like, in one hour, six people posed as interested buyers only to actually have a hidden agenda. A hidden agenda. Now, here's the deal. You and I do, too. See, we may not have the hidden agenda of trying to scam our neighbor out of money, but when it comes to relationships with one another, each and every single one of us are prone to walking into those with hidden agendas. Except we're not looking for money, we're just asking for their approval. We're not looking for them to give us something, we just want them to give us their acceptance. It's why we, we slide our accomplishments into conversations, where we're only half listening to what they say, and we're just waiting for our turn to slide our thing in. Hey man, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good, you know, how are you? Man, I'm good, you know, I've just been busy. I got this big promotion at work and so I'm just like, you know, I've just been busy. I don't really want to talk about it, like unless you want me to tell you about it and then I'll tell you about it, you know. It's like we carry this this need for approval and acceptance into every relationship we have. You see the human heart is born with this need for approval. It's it's hardwired into who we are. It's a part of the fundamental existence of the soul. I need to know that I matter. I need to know that I'm valuable. That I'm cared for. It's a part of who we are. The, the problem is, so often we go looking for those questions in the wrong places. I remember I was, I was 19. My wife and I had just started dating. And I don't remember exactly what I said to her. But she said, "Ah, you should stop fishing for compliments. And I was like, okay, this girl tells it like it is. Noted. You know? What was I doing? Ah, I was just looking for her approval. I said something to her that warranted some, her saying something good about me back. And she noticed it immediately. Why? It's because we look to one another most often to answer these questions of approval, acceptance. Am I worthy? Am I valuable? Some people go finding it an accomplishment or building an empire like Ebenezer Scrooge did. But so often we look to our kids or our spouse or our friends and we bring them these weighty questions that truthfully the relationship can never uphold can never actually answer those questions and what we do is we fall into this relationship that has an underlying hidden agenda that I'll love you and care for you so long as you continue to meet my emotional needs and without realizing it our love has become disingenuous let love be genuine how do we actually do that then If it's nearly impossible for us to answer these questions without carrying them to one another and asking people to answer it, what do we do? Is it actually then possible to let love be genuine and experience the joy of the rest of this text? Well, Paul shows us that it is actually true, and he does it this way. You know, the word love is a, a confusing word, right, in the English language. Sometimes we use it as a noun, sometimes we use it as a verb. We'll talk about how we love New Haven pizza, and then we'll talk about how we love our spouse or our kids or this church. You know, it's, it's this wide, this broad term that just encompasses a lot. But it wasn't the case in the original Greek language. There was actually these different words that they would use for love that would indicate the type of love that they were talking about. And so if you were discussing love between family members, you might use the word Storge. Alright, your storge love between a brother and a sister. You might talk about romantic love. And if you did that, you would use the word eros. If you talked about a friendship type of love, where it's like your your buddy that you really care for, you have some affection for, you'd you'd use the word phileo. Now, as Paul writes this, you might imagine him using any of these words. You know, he might call us the family of God, and so let your storge love be genuine. Or he might say, you know, as brothers and sisters in Christ, let your phileo be genuine. But instead, Paul unlocks for us the secret to the rest of the text by the word he chooses. And if you've been around church for any length of time, you've most likely heard the word. Paul chooses the word agape. Agape, let agape be genuine. And it's a different type of love altogether. You see, agape love is the type of love that God has for us. It's the type of love that is demonstrated through what Christ has done for us. One author writes about it and describes it this way. says, when the word agape is used in the Bible, it refers to a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. Agape love is unconcerned with the self and concerned with the greatest good of another. Agape isn't born just out of emotions, feelings, familiarity, or attraction, but from the will and as a choice. Agape requires faithfulness, commitment, and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. You see, this love is more than a feeling. It's a holy unction towards action. It's a conscious choice to give of yourself For the good of someone else. It's the word that's used when they describe the type of love that Christ has for us. You know, in Romans 5.8 it says, God demonstrates his agape love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus is the ultimate display of what agape love drives a heart to do. It drives towards action. It drives towards self-sacrifice for the good of someone else. And so Jesus, 2,000 years ago, comes to earth and lives a life among us, fully God and fully man, eventually ending up on the cross where he bears the burden, the full weight of our sin so that in trusting in what he's done for us, he takes our sin and we get his righteousness. It's the ultimate picture of self-sacrifice. And so Paul writes in the different book here, he says, listen, you want to know what agape love is? Just look to the cross. Just look to the cross. And as he does that, he flips the script on a society-driven love that says, man, you love to get You love because of what people can do for you. You love through transaction with one another. And he goes, no, no, no. You need to understand that the type of love I'm talking about, church, is something radically different altogether. It's not something you can make in your own heart. It needs first to be received from God so that you can then give it to one another. And the only shot we actually have at becoming the sacred us, this community that is supernatural, is if we learn to receive first before anything else. This love from God. Yeah. See, Jesus at the cross does two things for us. He shows his love for us. And then he leads the way in agape love. This depth of love moved him to come and die. And then he turns to us as followers of him. And he says, you do likewise. You die to yourself because of the love that I have placed in you. He leads the way. One author writes about it this way. Jesus' suffering was ultimately so that we would not suffer forever. The greatest accomplishment of Jesus' mission is something he did on our behalf. That's what we were just talking about on the cross, vicarious atonement. But Jesus was not only a substitute. This is what we're talking about here. He was also a pioneer. He not only bears the cross in our place, he also blazes a cross-shaped trail that we are to follow. The suffering of Christ not only wins us forgiveness, but trains us to lose our lives for his sake as we learn to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. You know, Jesus' instructions around this idea of taking up our cross and following him, you know, it's almost offensive, isn't it? It almost sounds like he's he's being a tyrant, like this, this absolute surrender to him. Like, who says that, right? Like, dictators, that's who says that. And you read that, and and you're left wrestling. Why does he demand such absolute surrender to him and his ways? It's not because he's a tyrant. It's not because he's a dictator. It's because he knows what's best for you. And he knows that the peace and joy that your heart so desperately longs, that is out looking for itself in other places, can only be found in him. God knows that your heart's true home is him. And so if you will give yourself for him, the very questions that you're asking others to answer, you don't find them there, you find them in him. So you don't get to experience the victory without the surrender, okay? Some of us want the Lion of Judah, but we don't want the Lamb of God, you know what I mean? Like this idea, like I don't wanna surrender to him, I just want the good of God, and he says that's not how it works. Because it's in the surrender to me that you actually find life. And that's what's different about agape love. It's not a feeling. It is a trusting, a moving, an experience that then leads us to decisive action. Maybe you've heard the story of St. Augustine. He was an early church father that lived a long time ago. He wrote an autobiography called Confessions, in which he talks in there about his own journey of pursuing pleasure, and then pursuing other religions, and then pursuing public office, and all these different things, and how they just, they never satisfy him. And he uses this phrase, which has been so powerful throughout church. He says, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. You've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You only rest in God when you choose to surrender to him when you choose to believe what he has said to be true, when you choose the way of dying to self over the way of self-promotion and self-preoccupation. But if you do, you get to experience the beauty and majesty of Jesus moving in your life and in your heart. And so you got to answer the question for yourself, where am I still holding back right now? What are some of the perhaps uncomfortable truths of the scripture that I'm not really letting apply to my life right now because I don't like what they require of me? Who right now in your life are you sacrificing significantly for? These are questions that this text, it just begs us to answer. But I want to remind you this morning that if you will give yourself wholeheartedly to him, that your heart will at long last find the peace and the joy that it so desperately longs for. You see, there's one place that your soul can finally rest. There's one place that can hold up the weight of the questions of significance. Do I matter? Do I actually have value? Does anybody care about me? Do I matter to anyone? And God says, stop asking that of horizontal things and horizontal relationships. Look to me and look to the cross, and you will discover once and for all time that my identity placed in you through your faith in Jesus declares you once and for all, as beloved and adopted, as redeemed, as set for greatness, and that God has a plan for your life, that God has, he is right now in heaven preparing a place for you, and so at long last, listen, at long last, when the agape love of God takes root in my heart, I can finally let love be genuine. Because for the first time in my life, I can actually love you without needing something from you. And so we've been asking the question about this agape love of God, how it drives our relationship with him. But it was really never meant to be an individual experience. See, as it flows in us, it then flows through us, all right? And as we let it, this is the secret to forming this new community. You may remember in Mark chapter 12 where they come to Jesus and they ask him, Jesus, what is the greatest commandments and he answers how we would assume he would he says love the lord your god with all your heart with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength but then Jesus immediately follows up and you remember what he says and the second is this love your neighbor as yourself there is no commandment greater than these see vertical relationship with god then drives horizontal relationship With one another. And the radical thing is listen, the Bible is very clear about this. As we express that love of God towards one another, as we look at what Christ has done and we say, man, that type of love leads me to self sacrifice. That type of love leads me to lay down my own hopes and dreams and desires for the good of others, and I can sacrifice my good. It's how God grows his love in us. And so if you're wondering why your love for God has grown cold, you need to ask yourself, how have I been expressing his love to others? It says in 1 John chapter 4, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That word complete means to expand, to be made perfect. So it's the act of loving one another that grows God's love in us. What a radical idea. It's why we call the chapter of this book, Sacrifice Matures Love. It's sacrifice that matures love. So you'll never be able to love in a fully genuine way with no hidden agenda until that agape love of god is flowing in you and through you. You got to understand it's it's the gate to the rest of the text. You know what I mean by that? Like you don't get to ex, you don't get to experience the rest of it. Outdo one another in showing honor. You don't get to walk into that until you've walked through the gate of the receiving of god's love for you. That's the only thing that allows the rest of it to happen, But when it does, it creates something unique. It creates something supernatural. It binds us together as the sacred us. And this community looks different. And Paul, in these, these verses, he's outlined several different ways and attributes that this type of community has. But I want to highlight just five of them for you. Because Paul has painted for us a gorgeous picture of what the sacred us is. And what it does. And I just want to move through them quickly, but I want to show you what he's laid out for us. Five things that it does. The first is this. This community gives honor. It says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Honor means to demonstrate high respect or esteem for someone. It's to say that you see great value in them. And listen, you and I need people who see God's value in us in our lives. You need people in your life who see how God has wired you, who sees the the unique way that God has, has created you and says, man, do you know the incredible things that God has for you? Man, you're settling for less than the best right now. God has created you for unique things. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You're a son of God, are you crazy? Come on, man, God has incredible things for you. You need someone who sees you and sees the next version of you that God is working on right now. That's what it means to outdo one another and showing honor but it's just not that it's not just that verse 13 says contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality this type of community you know what else it does it responds to needs you just got out of the hospital man let me make you a meal I know you don't feel like making dinner tonight so can I help you man you got in a car accident I know that you're still waiting on that rental car you want to borrow mine for the weekend we have two we don't need them you can you can take one for the weekend I mean, I know you and your wife are kind of working through this thing right now. Why don't you let me take your kids for the night? You guys can get a little space and go out to dinner. There is a practical reality to this community. But it's requiring proximity to one another. It responds to me. The third thing that it does, it amplifies joy. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Have you ever noticed that joy is multiplied when it's shared? See, I think that's why when you get good news, what do you want to do? Well, you want to tell people about it? It's why we hop on social media and we announce the new job or the new child or the move across the country, whatever it is. Because joy is amplified when it's shared. But listen, when you're not well, you can't celebrate somebody else's win because you think it's your loss. You ever notice that? Man, the, the person getting the new job, it just reminds me that I'm still stuck in the job that I don't like. But listen, this is what changes. This is why it's available to you. Because when I understand who God has created me to be, I understand that he has a unique calling and a plan for my life, then your win is just your win. It's not my loss. It's your win, and I love you, so I'm going to celebrate that with you. There's no competition. I'm not comparing me to you. God has declared over me who I am, and so I can celebrate and honor what he's doing in you. The fourth thing it does, it carries burdens. Verse 15, we weep with those who weep. You know, there are going to be mountaintop seasons in your life, no doubt, and you celebrate those with one another. But we all know that you don't always live on the mountaintop, that some of us have seasons. Maybe you're in it right now. Maybe it's been a week. Maybe it's been a year. Maybe it's been a decade. And you need someone to weep with you when you weep. The fourth thing that this community does is it just carries burdens, carries burdens through the ups and downs of life, you have someone with you who helps carry your burden. You know, I remember when my wife and I, our first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage, and I just remember having people to talk to about that, who just kind of loved us. If you've been through that, you know it's hard, it's confusing. I just, in that season, I don't know how people go through hard things alone. Like, it's one of the greatest gifts we give to one another, is the ministry of presence. That when my life gets hard... When, when, when my kids are walking away from Jesus, when I'm experiencing heartache, when I lost my job, I've got someone who comes and says, man, let me carry some of that burden with you. I'll just sit here. We don't have to say anything. But you don't have to walk through this alone. I don't know where the road's going to go. It might take a left turn for you. It might take a right turn for you. But I'm with you no matter what. Man, that is an, a powerful thing to have in your life. And the fifth thing that this community does, verses 16 through 19. It's all about how this community exhibits mercy. Exhibits mercy. Listen, there's not a single one of us who's not still in rough draft form. Until the day we see Jesus in heaven, we will live with a partially unsanctified body. And if you hang out with me long enough, and I know if I hang out with you long enough, you're gonna see the ugly parts of me that aren't yet sanctified, that aren't yet still like Jesus. I'm gonna offend you, I'm gonna bother you, I'm gonna annoy you, and the truth is, you're going to have a choice. When I upset you, are you going to forgive me? Are you going to exhibit mercy? Listen, forgiven people forgive others. The gospel does something in my heart that says, man, yeah, you've wronged me, and that wasn't right, we're going to talk about that, but I need you to know that I still love you. I know all that God has forgiven me of, and so I can pass on some of that forgiveness to you. But the thing is, it's not just this enabling relationship, right, where it's just like, yeah, you can keep hurting me, you can keep hurting me. Man, I see God's best in you, and I'm going to tell you that this is not his best. I'm going to call you up, and I'm going to forgive you in the meantime. And we're going to press forward. And if you put these things together, you notice that they, they spell grace. Because sacred community, you need to see, church, is one of God's most significant sources of grace in your life. And if you're not walking in this type of community right now, you're not living God's best for you. Like, this is available. I just want you to imagine, if you just had one person who did these things for you, imagine what that would feel like. Imagine right now that you had a friend who called out God's best in you. That when you're having a bad day, when you failed, they remind you that this is not the end, that this is not the end of your story, that God has more for you. They help you pick up your chin, dust off your knees, and keep going. You got a friend that when you need something, they actually answer the phone. And they say yes. Hey, man, would you come over and just help me with this project on my house? Sure. Hey, man, I could really use a little hand doing this. Yeah, I'm I'm there you got a friend who, when you have life's highest moments, they celebrate with you and they they resound. They amplify that joy in that moment. And then when the next moment comes that's hard, they just sit there with you and the uncomfortable quiet. And they carry your pain right there with you. And they carry it all the way through God's healing process. And when you hurt them or you let them down or you forget their birthday or whatever it is that you do, they choose Forgiveness. And the relationship carries forward. So many of us, our relationships die prematurely because we don't know how to extend God's grace to one another. And I just wonder, what would it look like for you? You might hear me say that and you say, man, it would be great to have a friend like that, but I don't have any. What if you were the one to go first? What if you went first, just like Jesus did for us? And you say, man, what if I'm taken advantage of? Yeah, you might be. Next week, we're going to be talking about boundaries. You might need some of those, but we'll get there. But what would it look like to go first? Church, you hear us talk all the time about our dreams to see this region reached. There's millions of people who live in New England, but we remember, right? We don't just get lost in those numbers. Those millions of people represent sisters and coworkers and best friends you grow up with who don't know Jesus right now. They represent Sons and daughters who walked away from the faith that you're still praying for. And may we can never lose the passion to see people come to know Jesus as we just get overwhelmed by the amount of people who don't. Remember, remember. I know you pray daily for people far from God. You know, one of the most powerful ways that we give our witness about who we are is the sacred us. We've got this passion to see the lost become found, to see your sister come to know him, to see your son come back to him, to experience the message and mercy of Jesus afresh. And the way we love one another might just be the most powerful testimony and witness of all. Jesus says in John chapter 13, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Any guess as to which word he chose there? How do people know that there's something different about us? How do people know that God is real, that we're different, that we're changed, that the Holy Spirit has taken residence in our hearts and changed us? How will they know that? Well, Jesus said they're going to know that you're different by the way you love one another. See, there's so much riding on the line here. Don't miss this. Your relationship with God, your relationships with others, and then our witness to the world. A world that desperately needs to know that God loves them. It's this community that shouts that. Come on, let's stand together. I need this. You need this. The question I want us to consider, just in the quiet of our own hearts, and I don't have your answer. I don't pretend to. But right now, how are you doing in this area? First, how are you doing in prioritizing community? How are you doing prioritizing and making space for this type and level of relationship and access? You can't do it with 30, but are you even doing it with three? You making room for this? Where right now are you actually actively sacrificing right now? Right now, is God asking you to let somebody live with you for a little while? Right now, are you asked to go above and beyond to care for someone? Right now, are you are you dealing with Amending your life because of the truth of scriptures in this whole process of dying to self. Where are you at right now? Because the truth is, the Bible would tell you that if you're not sacrificing, you're not growing. Right now, actively. If you're not sacrificing, you're not growing. It's the key to growing in love. It's something that we need desperately, and the world needs us to live this way. Because it shines bright in a society that doesn't know how. In a society that only knows how to do relationships through hidden agenda, they have no grid for the self-sacrificing kind of love that Jesus has displayed and then asks us to follow him into. Let's pray. So God, we do ask you, would you just begin to do this in our hearts? God, we just confess on our own, we're just selfish. God, it's so easy for us just to live in a self-preoccupied way that just prioritizes my own needs and my own wants and my own desires. I just put that above everything else. God, would would you crush that thing in me? God, would you broaden my perspective that out of my love for you and my understanding of what you've done for me, it would drive me to share that with others in tangible ways. Not just in thought or in deed, but God, I would actually do that. That this week, I would radically self-sacrifice for the good of someone else because of what you've done for me. And so that I might see your love grow in me. So God, we just as a community of faith right now, Lord, we just say yes. We confess we don't entirely know what it looks like, but we say yes and we step in. And even right now, God, as we sing, we make the conscious choice to just say, God, I want those old ways of thinking gone and the new ways of the Spirit To reign in my heart. So would you come, Holy Spirit, inhabit our hearts in a fresh way as we sing. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today to this Vox Church sermon. If something from today's message spoke to you and you've just made the decision to follow Jesus, text Vox Church, all one word, to 97000 and one of our leaders will help you as you begin your journey with Christ. God bless you.